Welcome to the Partcast series, episode 57, part two. Adolescent suicide, prevention, intervention, and postvention. The Partcast series brings evidence-informed child welfare practice to life by highlighting literature reviews from the Particle Archive. This Partcast reviews the literature on early prevention, intervention, and postvention for youth experiencing suicidal thoughts and behaviors. Introduction. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among adolescents in Canada and is a key public health concern globally. Despite this global concern, the ability to predict suicide risk remains difficult among professionals working with youth. However, if provided with the right tools, including compassion, professional commitment, and community support, adolescent suicide can be prevented. Suicide prevention involves three main areas of focus. Early prevention, so before suicide risk, intervention, during suicide risk, and postvention, support for those bereaved by suicide. Terminology. This research review uses the term suicidal thoughts and behaviors, or STBs, to describe individuals who are experiencing suicidal ideation, suicidal planning, or engaging in suicidal behaviors. Canada's National Prevention Strategy. Canada remains one of the few industrialized countries without a national suicide prevention strategy despite suicide being the second leading cause of death for youth in the country, and despite a formal recommendation by the World Health Organization. However, the Government of Canada recently released the Federal Framework for Suicide Prevention, which aims to reduce stigma, to raise public awareness of suicide, and to connect Canadians with information and resources, and to accelerate the use of research and innovation in suicide prevention. This document is not considered a national strategy. However, it does outline the Government of Canada's strategic objectives, guiding principles, and commitments in suicide prevention. The framework was developed in accordance with an act respecting the Federal Framework for Suicide Prevention that became law in December 2012. Further, in 2004, the Prime Minister acknowledged the problem of suicide among Canada's Indigenous youth and supported the funding of a National Aboriginal Youth Suicide Prevention Strategy, which was developed in 2015. This prevention strategy focuses on reducing suicide risk and increasing protective factors among this population. At this time, no literature could be located to discuss the effects of these frameworks on suicide prevention in Canada. Research questions. One, what are the best practices for early prevention among adolescents with regard to suicidal thoughts and behaviors? Two, which interventions are most effective in treating suicide risk in adolescents? Three, what are the best practices for suicide postvention? Methods matter. All of these are effectiveness questions, a type of question focused on determining the effect of a program, treatment, or approach. The methods needed to answer this type of question are systematic reviews, meta-analyses, and randomized control trials. These methods can also discuss the strength of a relationship. Longitudinal or cross-sectional studies are not designed to answer questions of effectiveness. What are the best practices for early prevention among adolescents at risk for suicidal thoughts and behaviors? FAQs. What is early prevention? What are the common assessment practices for suicide prevention? Which of these assessment practices are effective? Early prevention aims to reduce risk factors that could result in suicide and promote resilience and protective factors. 
Prevention efforts normally include social and emotional learning programs in schools, mental health literacy programs, stigma reduction and safe messaging campaigns, media guidelines, online resources, training for gatekeepers and first responders. Stigma reduction and media guidelines and types of gatekeeper training will be discussed below. Stigma reduction and media guidelines. The stigma associated with suicide is considered a significant barrier to prevention, as societal attitudes may negatively influence help-seeking in those experiencing suicidality. It is recommended that efforts to increase public awareness and knowledge of suicide be prioritized to reduce stigma. Psychoeducation is a common technique used to reduce stigma and increase societal attitudes in their knowledge of suicide. This technique involves offering information with the intent of changing behavior or attitudes about a specific topic. However, no evidence could be located that suggests that psychoeducation is effective in reducing stigma in relation to suicide. For example, one study examined whether psychoeducation in the form of a brochure could increase knowledge and decrease stigma associated with suicide, as well as increase a more positive attitude toward help-seeking among Latino immigrants. This brochure included information such as how to recognize suicidal behavior and understand risks the causes of suicidal behavior. Participants were randomly assigned to two groups, those who received an educational brochure on suicide and those who received a psychoeducational brochure on exercise. It was found that those who received the brochure had significantly increased knowledge of suicide, however there were no differences associated with stigma towards suicide or help-seeking behaviors. While this study did not produce significant results for stigma reduction, it is possible that more direct or intensive forms of psychoeducation could generate different results in addition to replicating the study with a more generalizable population. There's evidence to suggest that media reporting of suicide may result in what is called suicide contagion. The evidence suggests that repetitive reporting of suicide is associated with more deaths by suicide and an increased susceptibility in youth. One type of media reporting that may be especially harmful is glamorizing suicide or the person that has died by suicide. In 2017, the Canadian Psychiatric Association issued a policy paper outlining specific recommendations for media reporting on suicide. These recommendations include 1. Health reporters, not crime reporters, are best positioned to cover suicides. 2. Reports should be generally avoiding details of suicide methods, especially when unusual or novel methods are involved. 3. Emergency resource links should be included in all articles that deal with suicide. Other recommendations include how to approach the development of a suicide-related report, specific elements to be included and avoided in media reports, and guidelines for social media reports. An alternative way in which media can report on suicide is to report on people who have overcome suicidal crises while engaging in help-seeking behaviors and adaptive coping strategies. Gatekeeper training. Another strategy for early prevention is known as gatekeeper training. Studies agree that professionals who work with adolescents who are not prepared for suicide are prone to miss cues or warning signs, may underestimate risk level, and may fail to gather critical information during assessments. Gatekeepers are defined as professionals who are likely to encounter someone experiencing suicidal thoughts or behaviors, such as teachers, mental health professionals, and military personnel. Gatekeeper training is used to build knowledge, attitudes, and awareness, in addition to teaching skills to identify those at risk determine their level of risk, and make necessary referrals. The most common gatekeeper training is the Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training, ASSIST, and this will be discussed below. ASSIST Training 
A cyst was developed at the University of Calgary, Alberta during the 1980s and is now available in many countries around the world through Living Works Education. This training is a two-day interactive workshop in suicide first aid in which participants are taught to recognize when someone may be experiencing suicidal thoughts and behaviors in addition to working with them to create a plan for immediate safety. Currently, eight peer-reviewed studies and seven government reports have been published in support of ASSIST efficacy. However, most of these reports focus on immediate training outcomes rather than long-term training outcomes. Across multiple studies, people who have completed ASSIST training increased their identification of at-risk individuals. One RCT by Golden Colleagues examined the impact of ASSIST in a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline's National Network of Crisis Hotlines in the United States over a two-year period. 18 hotline centers were randomized into two groups, workers who received the ASSIST training, which is the intervention group, and workers who received the ASSIST training during the second half of the study, so they were a waitlist control group. Using an adaptation of the Global Counselor Behavior Scale, Workers who were cis-trained had significantly longer calls and more exploration when the caller revealed signs of suicide risk versus the non-assist-trained workers. However, assist-trained counselors were not significantly more likely to ask directly about current plans of suicide. Gold and colleagues also measured the caller's behavior changes throughout the call using rating from silent monitors. Callers were rated as less depressed, less overwhelmed, less suicidal, and more hopeful throughout the calls with workers who are cis-trained. This study is unique as it is the only study that directly observes counselor behaviors following assist training rather than relying on participant self-reports in addition to providing insight into the effects of the training over a two-year period. Another noteworthy Canadian RCT assessed the short and long-term impacts of assist training in comparison to a resilience retreat with a sample of participants from the Swampy Cree tribal communities in northwestern Manitoba. While the sample size was small and the results relied on self-report measures of preparedness to intervene with suicidal behavior, assist was not found to have a significant impact on preparedness or suicide prevention skills with workers who attended the training. More studies should be replicated to assess whether ASSIST is effective in Indigenous communities due to this population's high risk for suicide in Canada. Overall, ASSIST is considered the most important and useful gatekeeper intervention to date for suicide prevention. Individuals trained in ASSIST often report feeling more comfortable, competent, and confident in intervening with a person at risk for suicide due to increases in their knowledge and shifts in attitude and beliefs about suicide. Future research should focus on whether ASSIST is effective when working with the adolescent population. Thinking critically. Have you received any formal suicide prevention training? If so, how have you incorporated or not incorporated the skills acquired in your training into your own practice? Which interventions are most effective in treating suicide risk in adolescents? FAQs. Are there interventions that are effective in treating suicide risk for adolescents? How can child welfare professionals intervene when adolescents report experiencing suicidal thoughts or behaviors? Suicide interventions aim to address suicide risk and focus on the best ways to respond early when someone expresses experiencing suicidal thoughts or behaviors. These interventions can also be used to assist those seeking help for someone else when someone else is at risk of suicide. Intervention efforts may include crisis and distress lines, for example, kids' help phone, mental health services, emergency medical services, and training and counseling for gatekeepers, first responders, and primary caregivers. 
The three interventions that have been most commonly studied to treat at-risk adolescents include cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT, and attachment-based family therapy, ABFT. Other interventions include no-suicide contracts and family-based crisis interventions. However, there is little evidence for the efficacy of no-suicide contracts and family-based crisis interventions in the literature. While the realm of these treatments may not be applicable to common child welfare practices, it is important that workers are aware of these interventions for knowledge acquisition and referral purposes. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, CBT. CBT aims to reduce suicidal thoughts and behaviors by challenging and modifying cognitive distortions and by strengthening skills to adaptively cope, communicate, and solve problems. The efficacy of CBT in the treatment of suicidal thoughts and behaviors is mixed amongst the literature. Various forms of CBT have been studied, including individual, individual and family, individual and family CBT with parent training, and CBT skills groups. To date, one systematic review and meta-analysis, in addition to one RCT, was located that examined whether CBT was effective in treating adolescent suicidality. LaBelle and colleagues conducted a systematic review and meta-analysis of the current evidence base for CBT as a treatment for reducing adolescent suicidality in 25 studies from the United States and United Kingdom. Through the meta-analysis, it was concluded that cognitive behavioral treatments may reduce suicidal ideation in adolescents, but not suicide attempts. While there are significant findings in relation to CBT in the reduction of suicidal ideation in adolescents, there were also many methodological issues with the evaluated studies. These issues included unclear objectives and hypotheses, lack of validated measures to assess outcomes of the effects of the intervention, and overlooking the effect of negative psychosocial stressors that may have occurred during the study period, thereby affecting whether there were clinical improvements associated with the treatment itself. Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, DBT. Like CBT, DBT has been studied through many variations such as individual, skills groups, and telephone versions of the therapy. DBT for adolescents assumes that suicidal thoughts and behaviors are ways of directing anger towards the self or a way of escaping from extreme hopelessness and despair and usually involves a level of emotional dysregulation. However, there's little evidence to suggest that DBT alone is an effective treatment for suicidal thoughts and behaviors in youth. For example, three small pilot studies examined the effect of DBT on adolescent suicidality and reported significant reductions of suicidal thoughts and behaviors over the course of treatment. However, as these studies did not include a control or comparison group, it cannot be concluded whether these reductions were from DBT or due to other factors. More research is needed for this therapy. However, in an RCT by Rosenbaum, Arsenault, and colleagues, a cognitive behavioral DBT-informed family treatment was used as an intervention for adolescents with a history of suicide attempts. The intervention was referred to as SAFETY, S-A-F-E-T-Y, and when compared with enhanced treatment as usual, so the safety group demonstrated a lower probability of suicide attempts, with no attempts occurring during the condition in a three-month follow-up period. Despite this study having a small sample size, it is important to note that a combination of different interventions may be effective in preventing suicide among this population. Attachment-Based Family Therapy, ABFT Normally 12 to 16 weeks in length, ABFT is a family therapy that aims to reduce suicidal thoughts and behaviors in adolescents by strengthening the parent-adolescent relationship through improving the family's capacity to problem-solve and improve affect regulation. As family disconnection is considered a risk factor for suicide, 
and family cohesion and support is known to protect against suicidal thoughts and behaviors in adolescents, it is not surprising that family interventions have shown promise in preventing suicidal behaviors. To date, two RCTs have contributed to the literature on the efficacy of ABFT in the treatment of adolescent suicidality. In one RCT, adolescents were randomized to ABFT or treatment as usual. They found significant rapid reductions of self-reported suicide ideation over the course of treatment in comparison to the treatment as usual group. These differences were maintained after 12 weeks post-treatment. However, as this treatment requires a lengthy time commitment from all family members, referrals to the program and completion rates may determine whether this program is effective following treatment. What are the best practices for suicide postvention? FAQs. What is postvention? How can child welfare workers support adolescents and families affected by suicide? Is there stigma for those affected by suicide? The purpose of suicide postvention, or post-suicide intervention, is to support those affected by a suicide loss in addition to providing education to prevent further crises. Target populations include survivors of suicide loss and attempt, like family, friends, and classmates, and activities associated with postvention may include peer support, individual and family counseling, and online support groups and information. The following sections will discuss the stigma experienced by those affected by suicide in addition to the bereavement support groups available to support this population. Stigma experienced by those affected by suicide. As adolescents who experience suicidality are affected by stigma, suicide loss survivors may also be affected. This stigmatization has been reported to complicate the bereavement experiences of those closest to the person who died by suicide. The literature on the association between stigma and suicide bereavement is scarce. However, one systematic review was found that discusses the available literature on suicide bereavement and stigma. A common theme experienced by participants in the literature was the phenomenon known as self-stigma. Self-stigma is a form of stigma associated with internalized shame accompanied by the death of a loved one by suicide. Additionally, participants in qualitative studies included in the systematic review reported sensing fear and discomfort by others in addition to feeling ostracized, avoided, or rejected in peer groups. These studies concluded that suicide stigma may contribute to a lack of positive societal norms on how to manage the death of a loved one by suicide. However, more research utilizing strong methodologies are needed to better understand the factors that contribute to feelings of stigmatization in those affected by suicide. Bereavement support in the community. Adapting to the loss of a loved one by suicide can result in a complicated grief process in addition to an increased risk for suicidal behavior. Postventions are rather understudied, and most of the literature dates back to the 1990s and early 2000s. A few articles studying support groups in addition to crisis interventions were located. Support groups. The majority of postvention support for individuals bereaving a death by suicide are group interventions. On average, these group interventions last between 2 and 16 weeks, and common modalities that guide the groups are cognitive behavioral therapy, peer support programs, and bereavement-specific programs. In one RCT by Constantino and Bricker, effects of an 8-week bereavement group were compared to an 8-week social group on widowed survivors of suicide. Results found that both interventions were effective in reducing overall feelings of depression, psychological distress, and grief, in addition to an increase in social adjustment. 
While this intervention was limited to widowed survivors of suicide, further research with more generalizable participants are needed to determine whether support groups are effective in increasing social adjustment among those bereaved by suicide. Crisis Interventions Another strategy to support those bereaved by suicide is providing access to professional crisis response programs in the community. Crisis response programs may include, but are not limited to, face-to-face outreach in communities, and telephone support provided by professionally trained crisis response teams. In one retrospective cross-sectional study, Visser and colleagues compared clients of the Australian Professional Crisis Response Program, called Standby, to those who did not receive the intervention. The program provided one-to-one outreach and telephone support provided by an emergency crisis response team. Following the outreach and support, a site coordinator would construct a case management plan and clients were referred to existing programs in their community that met their bereavement needs. The evaluation found that increased quality of life, work performance, and psychological health as positive outcomes of the intervention. It was found that participants in the standby condition reported less risk for suicidality than those who did not receive the intervention. Practice Considerations Professionals who work with adolescents who may be experiencing suicidal thoughts and behaviors can consider the following. Become assist-trained to increase your knowledge and awareness of suicide and and become familiar with safety planning. Sometimes this training is provided through agencies. Otherwise, training workshops are provided across the country by Living Works Education and can be found on their website for a fee. Become familiar with your agency's suicide protocol in addition to programs in the community that provide support for suicidality, including bereavement and crisis support. In Canada, Kit's Help Phone is the leading professional telephone crisis line, which offers call and texting services for youth. This can be a good resource to use alongside your clients. When working with families, aim to strengthen bonds and feelings of connectedness between youths and their caregivers so that they can learn to provide protection for the adolescent who is experiencing suicidal thoughts or behaviors. Pay attention to other warning signs and symptoms of your, during your assessment of adolescents. Conclusion. This research review summarized the available literature on adolescent suicide early prevention, interventions, and postvention. Early prevention included stigma reduction and media guidelines in addition to effective gatekeeper programs such as ASSIST to support the early prevention of adolescent suicide. Additionally, common interventions for adolescents who experience suicidal thoughts and behaviors were discussed, including cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, and attachment-based family therapy. Postvention was defined as interventions for those experiencing stigma affected by suicide. Counseling and crisis interventions in the community were discussed. Practice considerations involved increasing knowledge and awareness of youth suicide through assist training. Becoming familiar with agency protocols involving suicide in addition to seeking resources in the community. And, when working with families, focusing on strengthening bonds and connections between adolescents and their caregivers to enhance protection for the youth experiencing suicidal thoughts or behaviors. You have been listening to the Partcast series, episode 57, part 2, Adolescent Suicide, Prevention, Intervention, and Postvention. The Partcast series is produced by Practice and Research Together, 
a Canadian membership-based organization that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system. For more information about this episode's topic or other episodes in the Partcast series, visit www.partcanada.org.